Well, good morning, church. What a great time again of worship we've had, and we're in a series today. Uh, does God exist? And, and of course, I know all of us believe God exists, but we have friends and neighbors who wonder if he does. And probably if we're honest, there have been times in our lives where we have wondered if God exists. And I've recommended to you that you have five questions to ask your skeptic or your unchurched or your uh, humanistic, atheistic friend. Just ask with love, from a heart of love, but just ask them if there's a beginning, is there a beginner? We talked about that two Sundays ago. If something began to exist, who started it? And that was fun and in many ways over my head, but I enjoy studying about what science is saying about the beginning of the cosmos. Fantastic stuff. And then the next question is, have you noticed that, would you agree that this world is fine-tuned for life? It seems to be made for us. We studied then and talked about how science has gone from saying it's possible, even probable, that there's life on other planets. In the last 50 years, they've moved to improbable that there's life on other planets to improbable that there could even be life on this planet to impossible that there's life on this planet. Now, they know there's life on this planet, but they're just saying the likelihood that it happened by chance, and scientists are starting to acknowledge that. Today's question is what's call, commonly called the moral argument, and it is the Achilles heel of the atheistic argument. It is the death knell. It's almost inarguable, and you'll see it as we walk through it, uh, mostly from Scripture today. We're going to look more at Scripture because... The idea of morality connected to who God is is from the beginning to the end. Amen. It's all throughout there. God's character, God's nature is that he's a good God. He's a, he's a pure God. He's a holy God. But the question here could more likely be without God, who is to say what is right and what is wrong? If God doesn't exist, who is to say what is right and what is wrong? So let's explore that today, would you, with me? And uh, so I want to do something as we begin. Next slide, please, Mark. Uh, there is a, a, a recent study about how our mind works, and I've told you I like that because mine is small, and i really got to study it because it's just not much there, so I want to find out how it works. And we've talked about how it wires, but did you know they're talking about that your brain primes? Your brain is primed. And, and if you think about it in light of worship, I mean, man, Goodness, we're primed this morning to think about God, are we not? That he reigns, that he's to be glorified, that he is to be worshipped, that he's in every detail of our lives. And so it's not an accident that the church has looked to music and as a part of worship and preaching as a part of worship together. But priming, they say, what your, what your mind thinks about immediately before or right before primes your mind to solve problems or to see how things work. So your mind is prime. For example, if you see the word eat, E-A-T, and then you see a word following it that's S-O blank P, if you're thinking about eat, you finish the sentence soup, right? Eat, S-O, what should be in the third blank? Soup, okay? But if you have in your mind wash, wash, and you see the word S-O blank P, if you've primed your mind towards wash, how do you finish that? Soap, right? No, you know, and so I'm so glad they're finding all this stuff out. And, and so we know this already, but it, it's interesting that your mind works that way. So let's do it today. I would like for you to prime your mind 
Uh, look at this word treasure. Do you have the word treasure in your mind? Would you please put that in your mind? All right, next. Would you go to the... Now finish the sentence. Finish the word, rather. How would you finish that with treasure primed into your mind? How would you finish it? Gold, right? Gold. If you're thinking about treasure, you would finish that word gold, okay? All right. Next slide, please. Now, the American Humanists Organization in 2009 came out with an ad, an advertisement, a promotional campaign that said this, no God, no problem. I told you that uh, people that study atheism or atheists themselves know that this is their, their problem. So they came out with an, a way to deal with their weakness, which is if there's no God, there's no problem. And look at the small byline if you can. It's, it's maybe hard to see in the lower right. Be good for goodness sake. And they're all wearing their little Santa Claus hat and kind of alluding to that in the, in the Christmas song. We'll be good for goodness sake. Aren't you glad I sang this morning? I don't know why I did that. Anyway. They're saying this. There's intrinsic value in being good. You don't need God to tell you to do the right thing. Be good because you know it's the right thing. Now, by the way, that is true. In my opinion, that is true. Not my opinion. I know that's true. That we, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to move beyond the, the point in our spiritual development where someone has to tell us or hold us accountable or pound upon us that this is the right thing. And we need to start seeing, if you've ever studied the Ten Commandments with a lot, in light of this, what is valuable about each and every commandment that it's not God saying, telling Moses and Moses telling us, you will take these ten sayings and you will eat them, you will swallow them, you will devour them, you'll do them. Instead you say, man, instead of saying this tastes bad, but I'll go ahead and digest it, it's better to say these are good for the sake of goodness. It is good to tell the truth. It is good to not steal or, or cheat or lie. These things are good in of themselves. But wait, 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 are you saying you're agreeing with the humanists? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're going to probe into that just a little bit more. It's their attempt to say, you know what? Having the right thing and doing the right thing is good in and of itself. And it really begs the question, because I would say to them, who says so? So let's talk about that just a moment. Just to set up. Next slide, please. Let's do another priming, all right? Here's our word. Would you get God in your mind, okay? Get God in your mind. Everybody got God in the mind? Now, please, just... Think about God. Our right, next, next part. Now finish it. Good. Good, right? Now I just did this to illustrate that what the humanistic group is saying is, even if you take God out and there's nothing there, there's no creator, there's no God of the Bible, you are all that there is. Human beings are the top of the food chain. Don't worry. You can still come up with good. I think what you come up with is gold. I think what you come up with is self. I think what you come up with is chaos. You don't come up with good. I think it's when you see God that you come up with good. Next slide, please. Let's move on through this. Now here, let's look at the scripture. Now this one is so rich in the Bible. This argument is so rich in the Bible that I, I could have started at Genesis, gone all the way through the book, and shown you examples of the connection between the character of God and how we should live. But I'd rather just use it from Ecclesiastes, if you don't mind, because Solomon uses a phrase that I'd like for you to explore with me. And it is the phrase, under the sun. The phrase, under the sun. Turn Ecclesiastes in your copy of God's Word, chapter 3, and let's see this phrase lived out for us today. Ecclesiastes 3, 
verse 16 and following. And I saw something else under the sun. That's a key phrase. By the way, that phrase is used 20 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is an operative, critical phrase for Solomon, the preacher. He calls himself the preacher. So he says, I want you to know that I am going to look at this stage of my life. I'm going to look at life as if it's under the sun. We're going to explore for just a few moments what that could possibly mean. Now, what I've done this week is look at all 20 occurrences and put you know, different phrases that it could mean in there and try to make sense of it. Some would say, under the sun means in this physical world, what you can see, what you can touch, what you can hear. Remember, that's the overarching argument we're trying to answer. If someone says, hey, you can't, if you can, I can't touch God, I can't feel God, I can't hear him, so how can we know he exists? Well, look, let's just use that as an example. Some others would say it means without God. I would like to just say it with that together. So let's do it again and, and just put that phrase together. In this physical world without God, because I'm convinced Solomon is saying, I'm going to look at life and aspects of life, and this is just one. There are 19 others in the book of Ecclesiastes. Like one of them says, I thought about hard work and toil and working under the sun. And it was meaningless. Let's look at this one again and I'll reread that first part with that, my interpretation or my injection of what that means. And I saw something else in this physical world without God. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. Next slide, please. I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is that of the animals, the same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth. Now, here's what he's saying in a cynical way, but with a concluding point that we'll make in a minute. Solomon is saying, so what if this is all there is? So what if there is nothing more than this physical world and there is no God? He said, first, when I look at life, I see that justice, it should be right here. And it's nowhere to be found. I see judgment, accountability for what is wrong. And the corresponding punishment, it should be right here. And it's just wickedness. And then he goes through this, and you have to read it several times to see what he's saying. And therefore, I realized... They're not thinking about God and that God will hold us accountable. And then he does something that's kind of unexpected. He talks about us being like animals. And he says we act like animals. But we don't stop to think that our end is like animals. We, we, we have cattle and we slaughter them, but we never stop to think that someday our lives will come to an end. And just as we are over the cattle, God is over us. So he is saying this. If you begin to explore a world or life and what it means without God, the only thing you find is chaos and death. He's not saying, by the way, at the end, that he doesn't know whether the animal goes to the ground or the human goes to the air. What he is saying is, 
if you look at life under the sun, right and wrong, and the corresponding accountability for it falls away. You ever thought about that? If there is no God, who's to say what's right and who's to say what's wrong? Next slide, please. Next slide. Let's go ahead and go to the next one. Go ahead. I've already covered that. Let's, this is a kind of Scott's way of looking at it, if you don't mind. Just putting it together. A little bit like an argument, but I don't want to be argumentative. I just want to ask you, have you ever thought of this? Without God, who's to say what's right and wrong? Have you ever thought about without God, everything's just an opinion? If there is no God, then you, ma'am, your opinion is as valid as mine, but it's no more valid. But who's to know whether you're right? And you, sir, I mean, it's your opinion, but with no God, who's to know whether you're right? And have you ever noticed the second one is also true? Some things are right and some things are wrong for everyone everywhere. If you go to someone who's not a believer or they're strongly oriented the way we're talking about today towards atheism, I believe that person will believe both of those in separate conversations. Did you hear what I said? Go to them and say, hey, if there's no God, is everything kind of an opinion? They have to say yes if they're consistent. They have to say yes. Some of you do and some of you don't like the heady part of these talks. Let me tell you, we're, we're going to be fine. We're about through, okay? But just imagine you have someone that's saying, I don't know if there is a God, but ask them. If there is no God, if there's no one saying what's right and wrong, isn't it all a matter of opinion? Most of them will say yes. Then kind of change the conversation and talk a little bit and come back and say, by the way, you ever thought that in all cultures there are certain things that's absolute right and they're just right? And there are certain things that are wrong, and they're just wrong. And they'll say, yeah, I agree with that. But what if you put them together? You ever thought about putting them together? If you put them together, it says God exists. All right? Some of you are going, yes. Some of you are going, what? Get through this series, Willingham. You're killing us. All right. It actually, if you put them together, you're actually saying this. Without God, there's nothing right or wrong. But we know there are things absolutely right and wrong, which means there's got to be a God. Because we know they're right. And we know they're wrong for everywhere and everyone. Let's unpack those just a little bit, but we'll have a little fun with it. Next slide, please. Now, the way you have to think about this is using the words subjective and objective. <laughs> These are words that I really like and try never to use them in a sermon. So you're wondering, why am I using them? But, but we're going to have fun with this. Do you ever use these words subjective and objective? Objective means it's not a matter of opinion. It's outside of myself. It's not something that I can conclude is right or wrong. It's everyone concludes it's right and wrong. Two plus two equals four. Is that an opinion or is that a fact? Even if you graduated from Baylor, two plus two equals four. We know that. Subjective is dependent upon human being. Did you know that the 2013 Kodiak Brown Ford F-150 is the best vehicle in all the world? It is. I, that's what I say. Some of you are shaking your head no. That's a, just an opinion, right? Or I will tell you absolutely with complete confidence that an apple is the best fruit you can ever eat. Taste better than any other fruit. Or let's use a tube up where I have a, I have a board up here and I need to do this. I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Chuck, I see that hand. Come up here, buddy. Now listen, I am thinking, as Chuck's coming up here, I'm thinking about putting a bid in for the overpass 
for 69 that's right behind the church. I'm thinking about going into construction. But I want to tell you some of how I do construction. For one thing, I just have the... Have y'all ever been to the fair and seen people that can gauge and guess your age? You ever seen that? Or guess your weight? Have you ever done that? No. I can guess the length of boards. And I have my own unit of measure. It's called the flip jab. It's the flip jab. So we're going to compete here. Is that all right? You're going to guess the length of this board. And I'm going to guess the length of this board. Is that all right? And the winner to go through the line first. Okay, you ready? Just a minute. i got to do this. Feel the board. 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 Be 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 the board. Feel the board. Be the board. That board is 10.75 flip jabs long. 10.75 flip jabs. Like right here. Just, it just happens. What, why don't you tell me how long you think it is? What, what is that right there? What, what, what is that? What is that? That is exactly 60 and a half inches. 60 and a half inches. All right, so we can know who's going through the line first. You're going to vote. I want to build the bridge with my tools and my methods of measurement. So you get to choose who gets to build the bridge on 69 behind me, all right? And Chuck wants to build the bridge with his tape measure. What does he think he's got there? All right, all of you who want me to build the bridge, would you raise your hand? All of you want Chuck to build the bridge, would you raise your hand? You're going to the line first. Get off my platform. Golly, people that have these narrow-minded tape measures. I know it's a crazy illustration, but you know what? It's what people do with truth. I think the bridge behind us is going to be hugely important, right? We don't want anyone to have an accident. What's more important is, what is truth? Who is truth? How do you get from here in this life to heaven? How do you know absolutely that you can get from here to heaven? Wouldn't you say that bridge is even more important? The bridge that Christ built on the cross? Which is more important? Oh, man, this is good stuff. Let's Next slide, please. Now, it's going to get a little bit mm, edgy, but if you take the natural conclusion of atheism, I found a quote that says it, and it's ugly, and I'm sorry for that in advance, but listen, if you want to take atheism and its thought processes and take it to its natural conclusion, you can't find a better illustration than Dr. James Rages. What are we uh, to say about them, the mentally handicapped? There's an atheist talking about what we should do with mentally handicapped. The natural conclusion, according to the doctrine we are considering, Darwinism, would be that their status is that of mere animals. Isn't that what Solomon said? If there's no God, we're just a species. Are we just a species? And perhaps we should go on to conclude that they may be used as non-human animals are used, perhaps as laboratory subjects or as food. I am sorry to bring that to your attention, but if I must shock you, I choose to shock you in understanding, without God, he's right. And no one of you, not one of you can say he's wrong. Without God, we're just animals. That breaks my heart to read it for myself or to bring it to your attention, but you must know this is what people believe. 
not what God says. I must add here because of shocking how shocking this is. If you work with handicapped, if you work with disabled people, if you have one in your family, do you know how much the Heavenly Father loves you and your handicapped family member or friend? Have you any idea how much God loves that person? It's just unbelievable. Hmm. Next slide. We are patriots, every one of us. I know there are patriots besides me in the room that love these United States. And look what they said as they began our country. You have heard these words. We hold these truths, not opinions. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with their creator. There's a God. He exists. And because he exists... We know we're endowed with these rights, these unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where is the idea of opinion in there? Not once, is it? The Bible's very clear on it, but our country was formed with these thoughts. There is truth, it's evident, and it means something to how we live. Amen? Next slide, please. C.S. Lewis, you know I love him and love what he writes, He says about this idea that, hey, you know what? Imagine a country, imagine a people that didn't believe in anything such as right or wrong. Here's what he said. Think of a country where people were admired for running away from the battle. Or where a man felt proud of double-crossing all the people who had been kindest to him. You might just as well try to imagine a country where two and two make five. So another thought that adds to this idea that without an absolute right and wrong, then worlds that we look to and and ideas that we cling to just don't make any sense. We admire the soldier who runs to battle or the police officer, the fireman that runs towards the danger. We honor them. It's the way we know right is. And we couldn't imagine it any other way. C.S. Lewis said, that's the only way life can exist. Next, Next slide. I want to tell you, some things, the second argument, some things are right and wrong everywhere and all the time. I'm just going to burn through or bump through a couple of them and and just please uh, think about these. They are from different cultures and different places, but I just want to ask you a question about each one of them. Uh, Sati, also called Sati, is the practice among some Hindu communities of uh, when when a widow is widowed, when her husband dies, she should voluntarily, that's ideal and best, uh, throw herself upon the funeral pyre, upon the funeral pyre of her husband. So as her husband is being cremated, it's supposed to be her duty to jump on the fire and kill herself, to su- commit suicide. Now, the British, when they took over these communities and places, outlawed it. It still happens today. It's just not as noticed. or as, But it's still considered among many devout Hindu women that their greatest duty when their husband dies is to throw their body on the funeral fire and to die. Is this right or is this wrong? Did you say it's wrong? Now, my wife's going to have a party. <laughs> just, that's a bad joke. but I'm, I'm just kidding about that. It is wrong. Is it wrong everywhere for all people? Yes, it is, isn't it? Next one, please. Now, this is 
Probably you've seen this. It's called foot binding. Years ago, in, uh, in, this, in this culture, one particular princess had small feet, and the emperor loved it. And so uh, it subsequently, among the dancers and certainly among uh, the upper-class ladies, they would bind their feet, and it's called lotus feet. They would bind their feet to make their feet really small. And you see a picture here of a woman who's up in age. She's elderly, and she has had her feet bound her whole life. She cannot walk. She's crippled. Is this right or is this wrong? I think this is wrong for everyone everywhere. Wouldn't you agree? Sure. And I'm saying this to you, saying you could actually bring these up to a skeptical or an atheistic friend and say, what do you think about lotus feet? What do you think about the practice of sati? Next one, please. I like to include us in it. I know you're not Catholic, nor am I, but I'm just going to say Christians and many skeptics that I talk to and you talk to will not make a big difference. And so I'm going to throw us in there. Do you think the Catholic Inquisition, the burning of witches and infidels and heretics, do you think that was right or wrong? Is it right to burn people alive for what they believe? I think it's always, for everyone, wrong. Are you with me? And I think my atheist friend's going to agree wholeheartedly now and put myself in there. Next slide. This is a little bit hard. Some of you saw the movie Spotlight. Some of you did not. It was one of the hardest movies I've watched in the last year. Spotlight is a group of investigative reporters in Boston who investigated the Archdiocese of Boston and sexual abuse among children. Very, very painful movie to watch. I made myself watch it because I think I needed to learn from that and endure the pain of that and see the pain of children that grow up that have been sexually abused. But I'm here to tell you, I don't even have to ask you, is it right or is it wrong for a pastor or a priest to sexually abuse a child? It's absolutely, for all people, everywhere, what? It's wrong. It's wrong. And it breaks all of our hearts that it happens anytime, anywhere. Next slide. I was here, uh, if not at this one, I was at Dachau. 1999, uh, I went on a mission vision trip to Germany with some other pastors. And we went to Dachau. Uh, and so, I can't really describe this experience very well. But I remember going in and seeing the crematorium where some of the 11 million Jews, gypsies, Jehovah's Witnesses, and homosexuals were cremated, killed. They were tortured. They were used as rats, human experimentation, and endured all kinds of horrible, horrible atrocities, and then were killed or burned alive. No one here would ever argue this is right. Would you? No. It just, I can't describe the feeling. And also, as we walked out, we'd seen the map and see that not only was this horrible, that the neighborhoods around it supported it. Industries all around it supported it. It had become the culture of the community, and people knew it was happening, and they endorsed it. May we never be that way. But I want to tell you one that I didn't put up here. 11 million is a lot. Do you know since Roe v. Wade, how many babies? By the way, the Bible has always indicated that a child is a human being, is, receives a nephish, a soul, that a child at conception is alive. Did you know that science now no longer questions that? It's no longer an issue. 
at conception, everything you needed to have to be a human being was there. You became a human being as God was knitting you together, as you were formed at conception. Do you know that? Anybody argue with that? I'd love to talk to you afterwards. It's inarguable now. Guess how many human beings have been murdered in the United States since Roe v. Wade? 58,586,256 as of January 14th, 2016. You may have more current data from that. 58 million people have been killed. That is wrong for every culture and every country and every community. And if you've had an abortion, listen to me. I'm not here to say anything other than this. God loves you. He wants to help you work through that and deal with that. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to say one thing and one thing alone. That is wrong. And we know it's wrong from God's word. But if there is no God, none of these things can be called right and none of these things can be called wrong. None of them can. Next slide, please. Lee Strobel says, without God... Morality is simply the product of sociobiological evolution and basically a question of taste and personal preference. Without God, there's no absolute right and wrong that imposes itself on our conscience. But we know deep down that objective moral values do exist. Some actions like rape and child torture, for example, are universal moral abominations. Therefore, this means that God exists. Next slide. Now I've got to end with CS. And then we're going to go back to Solomon. I end with Solomon. But right before Solomon, listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He was not a believer. He was an atheist, as you know. If you don't, he was. Wonder, wonder what made C.S. Lewis become a Christian. It was the moral argument. Listen to what he says. As an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked. Unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe when I called it unjust? That is what Ecclesiastes that's, teaches. That is what Solomon explored through 11 chapters of saying, listen, if you just say, under the sun, there, there's this physical world and there's no God, nearly everything. And he goes through all the major aspects of living, working and playing, relationships and marriage. He goes through everything we talk about and hold dear and said, if there's no God, there's one word for it. It's meaningless. And then he concludes. And I want you to listen to the conclusion. Go to the next slide, please. This is how he concludes. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The flip side of this, brothers, is we believe he exists. We proclaim and sing his existence. We praise his name. And Solomon says, know this. He is God, and he's to be feared. On the way here, I was coming through... Uh, a little community, just barely enough to blink and see, and there was a state trooper that had pulled over someone on the other side. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you ever been pulled over by a trooper? 
Anybody, just me and about three others. The rest of y'all do not drive. And I just slowed down 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. And he unfolded out of his four-wheel drive. I mean, he's that big. He unfolded out of his four-wheel drive sports utility. He unfolded like a pocket knife, stood up, man, six foot 20. I don't know what it was. He put on his Stetson. Walked to that car. I slowed down to where I could see this. He walked that car, and he looked in, and I don't know what he said, but you know what he said. And it goes something like this. You want to make this easy or you want to make this hard? Saw the light flash off his badge. As I passed, I saw his shoulder, I mean, his his hip semi-automatic pistol. I mean, his chest was twice as big as it should have been because he had a bulletproof vest in it. And everything said, in the black shiny boots, and everything said, I represent the law. And the next time one pulls you over, why don't you just crack a joke or say something funny about the law? His lights are still flashing. He's leaning in there with his special little correspondence tablet, probably writing them a nice little love letter. And everything about him says this. By the way, I want to tell you something. You know, he could have gotten out. It would have been completely legal. He could have got out of a, a little tiny rodeo clown car. He still would represent the law. And he could have been wearing a clown outfit with a little red nose. You ever thought about that? And if he walked up and he represented the law and he had this big feet and the nose and everything, he made a joke, he still represents the law. I mean, but you know what? They found out something about this. <laughs> they better put, this works. The gun, the badge, the hat, the big guy, the vest, that stern look. I've never seen a police officer smile. One time I did decide to say something funny. I'll never do that again. Never. All to say this one thing. You ought to fear the law of Texas. Or Texas will show you the power of the law. I think that's sometimes why when we see Jesus and we read about Jesus in the Gospels, sometimes we go, I think I can get away with some things. (laughs) I can say yes to Jesus And then kind of slide on this fear thing. You know, I can kind of, because he's that gentle, you know, one that carries the lamb. And he's so sweet and kind. You ever read Revelation? Just read Revelation. Don't try to figure out all what all. Just read it and see this. Woo! He's coming back, brothers. And when he comes back, you ain't going to mess with him. DPS officers will be kneeling. And every knee, DPS officers will kneel and they're Mouth will confess that he is Lord. So how dare I, how dare you take his commandments lightly? Let's pray together. And uh, I just want to close with this, this thought with just you and me and the Lord here. If, is there some part of your life and you're just playing with that part? You think that's a part that maybe God's character And your immorality, it's just disconnected for you. Something maybe you view you shouldn't view. Maybe something you read you shouldn't read. Maybe it's the use of your money. Maybe it's how you talk about other believers. We talked about that earlier in January, about complaining. God is still all over me about that. Do you complain? When he said, clearly it's a sin.
Do you trust him? Or do you doubt? Today, would you let God speak into your heart in that area that you keep from everybody, but he knows that part of your life is there. Fear him. In a good way, he loves you. He, he's not trying to point out your flaws so that you can feel weak and, 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 and full of errors. He's pointing it out so he can, like a surgeon, take it away. You must confess it. You must deal with it. You must acknowledge it. He is God. It is right or it is wrong. But it's not a matter of opinion. You know it. I know it. Take a moment tell him that. You're sorry for making something so bad, so sinful, a matter of opinion. Do that right now. They're going to play, but just right now. Just confess it to him. Because if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. What a promise. Would you do that right now? Just right now.